This episode of the American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the biggest week in American birding. They don't call it that for nothing. It is the biggest birding festival on the North American continent. It is being held this year from May 8th to May 17th, 2020. We are going to be there. The ABA is going to be there. I'm going to be there. I hope to see you there too. Registration is open now. You can get more information at biggestweekinamericanbirding.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. The Northwestern Crow is not long for this world. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this has nothing to do with Northwestern Crows dying. This is not a sad conservation story. This is a sad, I don't know, maybe not so sad, certainly interesting evolution story and it's it's maybe even a happy story to those of you out there like me who never made it to the pacific northwest to spend an inordinate amount of time trying to determine which crows are american crows and which crows are northwestern crows so you don't need to bother anymore you can spend more time looking for auklets of the olympic peninsula which is an altogether more pleasant way to spend time so, you know, much love to my crow folks out there. You can still listen to your crows. It's just that the the species that is currently known as Northwestern crow is most likely a subspecies uh, now. And even then, you know, in, in a few hundred generations, they may not even be that. And all this from a paper published in the journal Molecular Ecology from a group of researchers from the University of Washington uh, who did the genetic work on birds collected and sampled from the you know, quote-unquote hybrid zone in northwestern Washington and southwestern British Columbia. As it turns out, those two populations split from each other in the Pleistocene, likely due to glaciers advancing and retreating a half a million years ago. But in the last 40,000 years, uh, without glaciers to sort of bar their way, those two populations have been creeping back in contact with each other, probably helped a little bit by development and the spread of humans. Crows tend to follow humans to the extent that they are apparently interbreeding readily. You know, it is it has always been really hard to tell Northwestern crow from American crow. Uh, apparently, even the birds themselves have trouble because the genes are really mixed up. So this study was the basis of a proposal that was sent uh, just last week to the AOS, American Ornithological Society Classification Committee, which will likely be on this year's docket or next. In any case, I imagine that Northwestern crow or the group of birds formerly known as Northwestern crow is a presumptive lump. So that's that's one less species on your checklist. But, you know, if we're being honest, that Northwestern crow you listed probably wasn't one anyway. On the show today, you thought that was weedy? We're going to get really, really in the weeds about status and countability of non-native birds in the ABA area. Fair warning, this discussion is so weedy You should probably treat your pants with permethrin and tuck them into your socks before you listen. Do a quick check afterwards. Any Lyme diagnosis resultant from this discussion with ABA Checklist Committee Chair Peter Pyle is not my responsibility. So it's coming at you right after this week's Rare Birds. (laughs) 
is your Rayburn Focus for the end of February, beginning of March 2020. Not a ton to report this time around, but South Florida continues to host a handful of Caribbean vagrants, most recently a thick-billed vireo at Long Key State Park in Monroe County. That is a Code 4 bird, always a nice bird in the ABA area. We do have a couple first records to report, including another bird from Florida, a Scots Oriole, typically a bird of the south central and southwest part of the ABA area, was coming to a feeder in Tallahassee, that is Leon County. Scots Oriole is an uncommon vagrant to the eastern part of the continent, but it has been recorded previously in Georgia and both Carolinas, so peninsular Florida, not too far from that. And in Kentucky, a burrowing owl in Todd County, that is in the southwest part of the state, represents a first record there. Photos show that it is of the highly migratory western population as opposed to the mostly sedentary Florida population, as is the case with most, if not all, vagrant burrowing owls in the east. Those are the highlights of rarities in the ABA area for the last couple weeks. For everything else, please check out the Rare Bird Alert hub on the ABA website. That is aba.org slash RBA. You can also find lots of rare birds at the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group. That is facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare or on your rarity Twitter feed, ABA Bird Alert. There are currently 1,116 species on the AVA checklist, and of those, around 50 are what we classify as non-native, that being species from other parts of the world introduced either to the North American mainland or frequently to Hawaii. The ABA has always tried to keep track of those non-native species through our checklist committee, and the current chair of that committee is here with me now to talk about the hows and whys and what's of the ABA area's non-native bird life. Uh, Peter Pyle is the author of the famous or or maybe infamous Pyle Identification Guides. He's been associated with the Institute for Bird Populations of Point Reyes, California for many years now. Uh, welcome, Peter. Thank you for making time for me. Yeah, absolutely. So what exactly does the the checklist committee do, just for people who may not be familiar with, with the work that y'all do? Yeah, our basic goals are actually two. Um, and uh, what I might do is read, I, sometimes I write better than I speak. <laughs> sure. So I, I'm going to read uh, what um, I wrote in for the November 9th, 2019 birding in our last um, report. And it goes like this. The primary role of the ABA CLC is to consider the addition of new species to, and in rare cases, the removal of species from the ABA checklist. A secondary role is to review and revise ABA codes covering ease of observation in the ABA area. And I'll, I'll, I'll mention the members here in a second. Um, so then for each record under consideration, members vote to accept or not accept the species to the ABA checklist based on evidence from one or more records in the ABA area. And our voting system goes like a tally of 8-0 for acceptance of a record automatically results in the species addition to the checklist, whereas a tally of 0-8 results in automatic non-acceptance. And then any um, tally in between, 6-2, et cetera, have various options for recirculation or requests for recirculation before they're finalized. And then we do three rounds of circulation and uh, 8-0 or 7-1 tally is needed for acceptance of the, to the checklist after three rounds. Right. So you don't need to be unanimous the, 
the site next time. Yeah, most committees I think are like that. They they tend to yeah because yeah. if there's one crazy person on the committee, then then <laughs> then uh, you know that that mitigates yeah. for that. Um, so currently, yeah. I'm the chairman, and the other um, other members right now are Mary Gustafson of Texas, Tom Johnson of New Jersey, Andrew Cratter of Florida, Aaron Lang of Alaska, Christy Nelson of California, Mark Lockwood of Texas, and uh, David Sibley of Massachusetts. A lot of people from places that see a lot of unusual birds, That's interestingly enough. <laughs> correct, yeah. Um, and yeah. many of them also serve on local um, local uh, bird records committees, and that helps a lot, too, because uh, our standard is to wait until a local committee votes on a bird, and mm -hmm. then, you know, whether or not they accept it, usually if they accept it, we will then go ahead and vote on it as well. And But even if they don't accept it, sometimes we'll vote on it. And then sometimes if they accept it, uh, there might be no interest in, in adding it to the checklist. Right. So there's all those sorts of things that can happen. Yeah. I feel like I could talk about a lot of aspects of the checklist committee, but I want to focus on the, the many non-native species that can be found in the ABA area and how you and the rest of the committee sort of make your determinations as to what gets on and, and what doesn't. So, so what is it that you're looking for when you're considering a population of non-native species? Is, is there a certain threshold that that population has to reach? Yeah. Now, generally, a lot of the state committees and the ABA follow the same kind of line of reasoning, and that's that a population has to be established. It has to be mm -hmm. breeding. It should be increasing, but also can be stable if the population is high enough. And it has to have met all of those criteria for 15 years. So that's generally what a lot of committees base their, uh, base their acceptance on or not. Um, mm -hmm. The American Ornithological Society's checklist uses the same rules, same basic principle, although they only allow for, um, uh, they only require 10 years instead of 15. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that that's really resulted in, there is one species that's on the AOS list uh, based on populations in North America that's not on the um, ABA checklist, and we can get, we'll get huh. to all these different... Um, what is it, just offhand? Okay, it's mitered parakeet. Oh, mitered parakeet. Oh, okay. Yeah, I actually saw one of those in Florida last last summer. <laughs> yeah, well, in 2002, the, A couple of them. the AOS uh, just, just voted to accept it to the AOS checklist mm -hmm. uh, based on populations in, in the ABA area. Uh, but the ABA checklist committee has preferred to wait until a local committee accepts it. And mm -hmm. uh, this, the California Birds Record Committee has not accepted it yet, although there's a population huh. of over a thousand mitered parakeets now in the Los Angeles area. So, um, huh. or maybe it's Bakersfield, I, I sort of forget. But anyway, the CBRC, California Bird Record Committee, will probably be voting on that soon. And so for the yeah. time being, the AOS will probably leave it in their checklist until that, that vote occurs yeah. for California. That's funny you mentioned it because I, I noticed just like the other day, maybe yesterday or the day before, that Florida is actually looking at their mitered parakeets uh, as well. Or they've started, they've kind of gotten the ball rolling uh, with with sending that on to their records committee as well. So you may get it from both sides of the continent. <laughs> yeah, that would be useful. Um, I, I thought they might be doing that. I wasn't positive. So mm -hmm. that would be great if yeah. both committees uh, voted. If they both accept it, then I have 
have little uh, doubt that it would be accepted to the ABA checklist very soon. Yeah. So, you know, the inclusion of Hawaii in the ABA area was a, a pretty big opportunity to put all of this stuff into practice. So when you were looking at all the non-native species in Hawaii, and there are, are a lot of them, um, sort of what was the criteria you were using and what was sort of the last bird in and maybe the first bird left off? Uh, yeah, it was kind of a, a roundabout and interesting process. Um, there is a Hawaii Bird Records Committee. And so mm -hmm. we at the on the ABA checklist committee decided to wait for the Hawaii committee to vote on on all the non-natives. And there were two cases um, where the Hawaii Bird Records Committee voted species off the list because they'd become extra. Huh. And those two okay. species were uh, red cheek cordon blue and black slumped uh -huh. waxbill. So the ABA okay. never never voted on those two because the Hawaii had already um, taken them off their list. However, they are still on the AOS checklist. So I've huh. been um, in communication last week or the week before with Terry Chester of the AOS um, North American Classification Committee. And, um, and they're going to propose to take the cordon blue off of the AOS list um this year or next and then the black rump waxbill also has populations in puerto rico so whether oh, okay. or not they take that species off the list will depend on on those populations huh. however they will take it off they have a, a, a list they're developing now of species within the aba area so they'll take off that huh. from their north american list basically yeah yeah, the AOS has a slightly different jurisdiction than the ABA area. You know, the AOS North America includes what Greenland and the Caribbean, all the way in Central America, all the way down to Panama. So they've got they have to take into the consideration those those Caribbean species. And there's a, quite a few of those kind of weird Asian finches type things in the Caribbean as well as Hawaii. It seems like. Uh, yeah, that's correct. There's other cases that uh, we can get to. So. Next on the Hawaii list was probably orange-cheeked waxbill. There's very small population of that in on Maui. The Hawaii Bird Records Committee voted to retain that on the Hawaii list, even though populations have declined and it may be extirpated now. It turns out they're competing with common waxbill, and common waxbill <laughs> out there That's is out competing the orange-cheeked waxbill. So. Um, yeah. In this case, the ABA checklist committee did not accept it to the ABA list based on its current declining population. It's on the uh, AOS list. Uh, however, again, it's also based on populations in Bermuda and somewhere else, maybe Puerto Rico as well. It's kind of got to the same place as black drum wax bill has as far as the aos yeah. goes they'll 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 take it up they'll, they'll in all likelihood take it off of the north american list uh, at their end and yeah. they take it off the list altogether depending on the populations in bermuda and and elsewhere yeah it's so funny to see the way these non-native birds have sort of slotted into interesting niches and compete with each other and you know this essentially now non-native environment that is modern Hawaii. 
know, a lot of times we we talk with uh, obviously justified sadness about what's going on with the native birds there, but there's some really weird and kind of interesting things that are going on with the non-native birds on Hawaii as well. Have you found that to be the case? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have, you know, some 40 species of established non-native, and there, there's actually been, some of them have been established out there since the 1860s. Um, yeah. So those is scaly-breasted munia, which is now also on the ABA checklist based on populations in California. But that that mm-hmm. that species and the and the common mina and the zebra dove, a couple of, of these things got out there very very early and have been there a long time. Um, but yeah. there have also there have been a lot of uh, ornithologists actually have gone out to Hawaii to study the dynamics of. Um, you know, non-native populations, how they become established, how long they last, what kind of effects they have on, on native populations and, and so forth. You know, from an evolutionary perspective, the native birds are such this great example of how islands can drive adaptive radiation. But now it's almost like it's a, it's a Petri dish again with all these non-native birds. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's of course, there's a lot of research and concern going on now for the native mm-hmm. birds a lot more than non-native populations but you know we've got two species of bulbuls there's been a lot of sort of interest in how those two species interact with each other they're both on Oahu you know other other studies have been taking place on some of the other non-native populations and some of them it's interesting some of them will snuff mm-hmm. out you know after becoming really calm yeah and I think this happened with uh budger gear and um Florida, where it became very common, was added yeah. to the ABA checklist, and then boom, went just went out, snuffed out really quick, and so it was taken off. Um, in Hawaii, an interesting story is California quail, which got to Oahu in about 1860, and by the end of that century, by the end of the 19th century, was quoted as the most common bird on Oahu, just everywhere, hundreds of thousands of them. But then all of a sudden for unknown reasons they just started declining and are now absent from oahu so so what you know whatever that was about is sort of an interesting thing you know we kind of hope sometimes that maybe whatever happened to the quail in hawaii might happen with some of the others but (laughs) right yeah one of the things that i find you know, kind of interesting about non-native birds is that there are all these sort of weird human stories that surround them sometimes. Um, do you know of any sort of particularly interesting ones uh, about people that have introduced birds to various parts of the ABA area for kind of bizarre reasons? Uh, yeah, there are some stories like that in Hawaii, and, I, and some of them are escaping my mind now. The peacock, the two peacocks, or Indian peafowl is the, the official name. I think two of them were brought out as gifts to King Kamehameha in something like 1850. And um, and those two were released on the palace grounds uh, in Nu'uanu Valley, I believe. And from there, they started breeding, and that's where the population of Indian peafowl started. Um, <laughs> a lot of the birds in Hawaii were introduced there by a group called the Huimanu, and it means it was a bird group in primarily the 1930s that uh, all of the native birds were disappearing from the lowland forest due to malaria. And so there were no birds. The only birds out there were house finch and common mina and scaly-breasted munia. And if you know those species, (laughs) they're not the most delightful species. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple of doves as well. And so the Hui Manu decided to bring thousands and thousands of birds from primarily from Asia, but also North America to Hawaii to see what would stick and what would not stick. <laughs> and uh, these include Northern Cardinal, uh, red-crested cardinal, yellow-billed cardinal uh, from the Americas, but also white-rumped shama, um, red-billed leothrix, uh, a couple of, several of the laughing thrush species that are on the list all got out to Hawaii due to big efforts by the Hui Manu to release songbirds in Hawaii so that they can have songbirds in their gardens again. How did the sand grouse get out there? Uh, now, there was another big effort to introduce uh, game birds in Hawaii for hunting. Okay. So that was primarily in the 50s and 60s. So the sand grouse was part of that, as well as Urkel's Franklin, Black Franklin, Gray right. Franklin, okay. um, and actually several other, you know, pheasant, chucker, and so forth, bird uh, species that are also found in North America. Huh. I... I don't know if the checklist committee is overly concerned with uh, subspecies of non-native birds here, but um, do you does that ever cause any sort of complicating factors when you're discussing these populations of uh, non-native birds in the ABA area in Hawaii or otherwise? You know, does does provenance matter? <laughs> uh, not usually, um, unless there's yeah. some taxonomic concerns. A couple of interesting cases are the white rump shama in Hawaii. It turns out that the birds on Oahu. Uh -huh that got introduced there by the Hui Manu are of a different subspecies than the birds that got introduced to Kauai Island. So we actually have two really? subspecies of shama in Hawaii from, I think, even maybe well, widely different, different places. I forget the details, but um, we have a monograph. You know, my dad and I did a monograph for the birds of Hawaii that's online, easy to find at Bishop Museum and the details of all the subspecies. I tried to identify all the subspecies of the finches and so forth that are out there just by looking huh. at specimens. Um, that's one case uh, where, where you know, you do have a couple of subspecies involved. Um, there's another interesting case uh, that actually is, is relevant now, and that's tricolored munia uh, because okay. yeah. it is formerly was regarded as the same species as chestnut moonia, which is common in Hawaii and, and on the checklist uh -huh. based on Hawaii. Well, someone made a mistake and thought that uh, tricolored moonia also was in Hawaii. And so if you go to the AOS checklist, you'll read that tricolored moonia after the split was retained on the, well, it was in the checklist anyway, based on populations in uh, Puerto Rico and Cuba. Um, mm -hmm. right. But it's also mentioned that, that they're in Hawaii and that was a mistake. So we have to clean that up as well. There's been like three or four records of tricolored Mooney on, on Oahu, which are escapes and that's been it. Now, interestingly, there's mm -hmm. more to the story. Um, in uh, 2000, the 13, I believe, 12 and 13, uh, some tricolored munias were spotted and identified and photographed on the dry tortugas. Um, I remember Florida. that. I was, gonna, I was just going to ask about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the Florida uh, Ornithological Society Records Committee uh, voted to add those to the Florida checklist 
as vagrants from a non-native population <laughs> from a, in, in Cuba. <laughs> so the yeah. how many different iterations that's of correct. So provenance can you get to? We're about yeah. to um, ABA checklist committee is about to review it too, and I'm I'm predicting they'll hmm. probably get on to the ABA checklist based on I I, I forget there's maybe just three or four records of them uh, from several yeah. years ago. Yeah, it seems like that's a potential issue with the the white eyes too. Um, you know, Japanese white eye. White eye is part of this you know wide ranging genus of birds that are found all over tropical the tropical old world. And Japanese white eye is the one that's on the ABA checklist by virtue of Hawaii. But there are white eyes in Southern California too, right? I guess those were recently split to Swinho's white eye, the ones in LA County. Right. Um, do you know anything about that? Well, yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um... They've uh, split the white eyes, and the one in Hawaii actually is now the warbling white eye. Warbling, so I that's suspect right. We'll get that name change here in the next year or so. Uh, and then I was unaware of what subspecies are actually now species the California bird was, but that's the, the California Bird Records Committee has not tr- has not uh, voted on that yet, and I'm I'm not sure. Mm-hmm, right. I think there's several parrot species that have much bigger populations than the white eye down there currently. Yeah. So they'll probably be dealing with those parrots first. Right. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Cause those, um, when you think of something like spotted dove, that's on the ABA checklist, um, there's only like one spot where people reliably get that in LA anymore. But as you say, there are parrots and, and maybe even the white eyes too, that are doing much better. Their populations are much bigger than spotted dove, which remains, but I guess that's sort of grandfathered in spotted dove used to be, much more prominent. It could be one of those populations that's sort of winking out, maybe. Yeah, and it's interesting that the different committees treat that differently. For instance, Hawaii retains mm-hmm. those species on, oh, that's right. on the checklist yeah. if, if they've decided they were established. Like uh, buried tit is one that was mm-hmm. established, well established on Kauai in the 19. 19- hundreds, maybe late 1800s, all the way through the 1960s, but then blinked out. It's still on the Hawaii checklist because that's the criteria Mm -hmm. the committee uses. But the ABA checklist uh, committee and the AOS, if a non-native species uh, blinks out, they take it off. And so that's that's what happened with budger gear on um, ABA and then also uh, uh, the um, very tit. Oh, the mina. Uh, yeah. The, oh, and the, the mina in BC as well. Crested yeah. mina got taken uh, off. Was it? Crested mina. Yeah. And the um, very tit that for a while was on the AO or was considered established in Hawaii, I guess. But it, it's yeah. also it's now in the appendix of the yeah. AOS checklist. <laughs> you mentioned before we started talking, well, before we started recording, that you uh, the checklist committee is currently dealing with a handful of other species that are trying to determine the. I don't know, the the accountability, for lack of a better word, uh, of those or to try and straighten it out with what AOS is doing to you know bring those lists into alignment. Um, what are some of the situations, some of the more interesting situations that you're looking at now? Yeah, OK, well, there's two other species that have been accepted by the Hawaii committee, but not by the ABA. And that's Japanese quail and lavender quail. And both of those, uh, they've got different population trajectories. Uh, the quail was very common in Hawaii, like dozens of thousands in, in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s on, on many of the islands. 
However, the populations have slowly been declining, and now it's very difficult to even find one on Kauai. So after several rounds, the ABA checklist committee decided not to accept Japanese quail uh, to the ABA list. Um, however, in, in talking to Gary Chester of the American Ornithological Society, he's saying that uh, they would probably need more evidence. Um, to take it off of the AOS checklist for now. For instance, um, the island of Niihau is privately owned. It's a big island, and um, no ornithologists have been there for quite a long time, and there could well be Japanese quail huh. populations there that, that huh. we just That's don't even know about. So this kind of brings up a point that even though the criteria will come into alignment between AOS and ABA, it doesn't mean that the members at any one time are going to vote the same way. So you, so you <laughs> right. still may end up getting species on one of the lists, but not on the other. That's pretty interesting. So for those listeners who may be interested in hearing about what the ABA Checklist Committee is doing now, uh, what is the status of some of those outstanding outstanding species? Are they going to make the checklist? Yeah, well, um, you know, we take our time. We've kind of decided now we're going to update the, the checklist twice a year, once in July, um, after the AOS makes their taxonomic revisions, and then again <laughs> at the end of the year. Okay. So what, what that means is we kind of sit around, <laughs> the committee sits around and doesn't do a whole lot, and then all of a sudden the month before the due date, we're all scrambling. Do it but <laughs> there's, uh, let's see, we've yeah. got three species currently in circulation. Eurasian sparrowhawk is uh, currently in circulation. Oh, okay. And round two, based yeah. on the, the one record from ADAC that was photographed. Um, yeah. Callus's gull from Shemya Island uh, is uh, currently... Last year. Currently, yeah. I think actually maybe it did get accepted, but it's close to being accepted if not. And then uh, the common mm -hmm. wood pigeon that turned up in Montreal in May right. yeah. uh, last year is currently under circulation. So those three, well, we're going to try to have decisions um, done by, by June on those, as well as the tricolored munia, which I mentioned, mentioned will be, you know, circulating mm -hmm. soon. And then we have uh, four other species that are on our radar. There's the palace's grasshopper uh, warbler um, from mm -hmm. Gamble, and that was uh, last year. We're waiting for the Alaska Committee to finalize their vote on that. Uh, there's the northern giant fulmar in Washington that was photographed right. recently. So yeah. we'll be wait, we'll be in contact with the Washington committee to see how they're doing on that one. Uh, variable hawk has come up again because of a record in New Mexico last year. However, the New Mexico committee, I think, I might, I think I have this straight. They've already voted not to add it to New Mexico, but the Colorado, that New Mexico record. Right. Uh, yeah, it has uh, caused the Colorado Committee to reconsider the bird that was there for many years back in the 80s and 90s. So we're waiting for that. Mm -hmm. um, now, the way the ABA CLC works is at least one member has to request it be circulated before it does. And there will be cases where mm -hmm. we look at it and, we, and no member is interested. So in that <laughs> case, they won't even go around. And then yeah. the last one we're still waiting for for some determination on is that Elania that was found in Chicago. Um, oh, and I yeah. think it was the mystery. Elania. Yeah. The mystery yeah. Elania, which if they can't 
outside of the small Bill Galenia, which I think is the leading contender now. Um, that'll be something mm-hmm. we, we'd probably take a look at as well. Are there any other non-native species that you that the ABA Checklist Committee is sort of keeping an eye on? Uh, well, the miter parakeet, we're, we're kind of right. waiting miter parakeet, for yeah. the California Records Committee to decide. I think the, the next two on their radar are rose ring parakeet. Mm-hmm. Um, based on populations in Bakersfield. Now, that's already on the ABA list uh, because mm-hmm. of Hawaii populations. Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, but then the next one after that will be lilac-crowned parakeet, or lilac-crowned parrot, I'm sorry. Yeah, one of the Amazon parrots, yeah. So if that gets accepted by CBRC, then we'll look at it, and and it would if CBRC does accept it, it'll probably get accepted to ABA as well. Well, super. All right. Well, well thanks, Peter. This was a, a really interesting talk. Um, Peter Pyle is the chair of the ABA Checklist Committee. He is the author of um, a lot of things, honestly. Um, Thanks again for chatting with me. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. You know the spiel by now. We are a membership organization, and the best way to support this podcast and the ABA is to become a member. You get some great magazines, you get some discounts from our friends and sponsors, and you get the knowledge that you're helping to support the birding community in the U.S., Canada, and around the world. You can learn more at aba.org join, or check out our e-memberships at aba.org e-member, which is a great option for international listeners, because then you do not have to deal with any international postage I want to make a special shout out to Bruce Marston of Bellingham, Washington, Kathy Bangert of Easton, Maryland, David L. Wonger of Woodland Park, Colorado, and Donald Rice of Barrington, Rhode Island, all of whom recently joined or rejoined the ABA and noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much for that and welcome or welcome back to the ABA. If you really want to help me out, you can head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It provides us with feedback and it helps other bird-friendly people find us. I have noticed an increase in subscribers and listeners in the last couple weeks, so thank you for that, for those people who have gone over to do that. Thank you so much. It really does help. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon with the news that Northwestern Crow might be folded back into American Crow. He is waiting for the inevitable lump of blue and golden-winged warbler. So may I suggest blinged warbler as a possible compromise name? You know, roll that around and see if it works for you. Technical production is by John Lowry. When the AOS does eventually lump Pacific Slope and Cordilleran Flycatcher back into Western Flycatcher, he suggests just throwing dusky flycatcher in there too, just to see if anyone catches it. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who, uh, come to think of it, we may just lump together as Greg Hartley, maybe David Neese, because the case made to split them was pretty bad. After all, you know, that's how the AOS justified the Thayer's gold lump. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash birders, or on Twitter at ABA. The inclusion of Hawaii effectively ruined my decades-long wait for ABA 1000. So I'm in favor of lumping as many species as it takes to get back down to 1000 from the other direction. So, you know, just offhand, uh, McKay's bunting, most of the Orioles, the sapsuckers, cackling goose back with Canada goose, all the large white-headed gulls, and the screech owls. So, yeah, ABA 1000, here we come. Questions and comments can come to me at podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time. <laughs>